Warning. The following contains massive spoilers for the designated series. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to The Television Archive, the show where we, the television-loving hordes of the internet, take a deep dive into what used to be in our beloved medium. My name is Thomas Michael Clark, and this is Cosmos, Cosmos Space-Time Odyssey, and Cosmos Possible Worlds. Cosmos Episode 4, titled Heaven and Hell. Uh, yet another excellent, excellent episode. Uh, we talk comets. We talk Venus. We talk the imminent destruction of the human race through climate change. Fun! Fun! Uh, so, this episode starts off, and one of the first things we get into is uh, this thing called the... Tungasha event. Uh, I think I wrote that down correctly. Uh, I I may be stupid and my brain might have, like, just gone through this telephone of ears to hand to eyes to mouth. (laughs) Hearing it to writing it down to reading it to speaking it. There might have been, like, some breakdown and I might be saying that wrong. Uh, But I believe that is the Tungasha event. uh, Where just... Over a hundred years ago, there was this big explosion in Eastern Europe. No one knows what it was from. Uh, It was a huge thing. It shook up a lot of deals. And a Soviet scientist went in, examined everything, and, like, there was no crater from a meteor impact. There was no evidence that a meteor... Uh, impacted the Earth, which is what he initially assumed. Uh, There were a bunch of these different theories that all kind of didn't quite work. And it's this really fascinating opening, this really fascinating mystery that Carl Sagan sets up. And, of course, the answer ends up being a comet. Because comet, made up of ice, burning up on uh, entry and exploding when it hits the ground, like, of course, in all that time, ice would melt. It wouldn't make, like, a big crater, but it would, like, just create an impact and uh, explode outward and cause this, like, type of stuff that we saw in that whole event, in that whole explosion, cause the type of phenomena we would see of a fragment of a comet. And... 
from this, we use that as a jumping off point to talk about comments. And Carl Sagan has his whole lecture, basically, on comments. Uh, and, of course, because this is Carl Sagan, we don't just talk about what comments are and how they work. We spend a lot of time on that. There's a lot of detail about comments. There's a lot of educational value in it, but... Carl Sagan is every bit as interested in the how we got to know what we know now. He's every bit as interested in that as he is about telling people what we know now. Or at least what we knew in 1980. When this came out. And so, in addition to getting academic and talking about the what we know and how we know it. Or the what we know and uh, how they work and all that. We talk about humanity's perception of comets as it uh, evolved throughout the ages. Uh, how they used to be viewed as like this harbinger of doom. And would sort of create this self-fulfilling prophecy of, well, there's a comet. Clearly a kingdom's supposed to fall. Invade! <laughs> like, <laughs> that whole deal. Uh, it get paint, it painted into various uh, paintings as like a symbol. Uh, and it sort of evolved from that. Uh, at a certain point, uh, we found like these trace amounts of like poisonous gas in the tail of a comet that just passed through, that just passed by Earth. And there was this hysteria because people believed, people actually believed, oh no, the comet left behind some poisonous gas and the Earth's about to go through it on its orbit. We're all going to be poisoned. The human race will die. And there's this hysteria. Like people had comet parties to have some merriment before the world ended. Uh, some jackass entrepreneurs were selling comet pills and gas masks. Uh, and, like, that in and of itself is a very interesting story. Uh, but we kind of go through the entire history of how humanity perceived comets and how we came to know the actual science of it. The fact that they, they come from where they come from. Uh, they come from that cloud outside of the solar system. And they come from, uh, all this. And they have these big, giant orbits, but sometimes get captured by planets and have smaller orbits within the solar system. Uh... Like, all this, like, the fact that they are made of ice, and they do have these giant tails that extend back uh, further than the distance between worlds. Like, all of this, like, we have the how did we get there, as well as the here's what we know, which is what makes this show so compelling. And then we get into this really cool story about the moon, and about how... uh comets, fragments of comets, and asteroids and all that would, like, plow into the moon and leave all these craters. Uh, and we tell this story about these monks centuries ago who witnessed, like, an explosion on the moon from a... I can't remember if it was a comet or an asteroid hit, but something, some foreign object hit the moon, and they saw, like, a big explosion from it. And... Basically, these monks despite what religion would tell them, oh, every everything's static, everything's perfect, and there's no spontaneity at all, everything's according to a grand design, blah, 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 blah. 
they actually like wrote all of this down. They didn't uh they didn't keep their information secret. Uh they had someone transcribe what they saw, what they witnessed, and then centuries later, uh when we got into the space race and humanity landed on the moon, uh, and all of that, then we started to go back to those accounts and start to check what we're observing against that account. Uh, we saw a big-ass crater around where uh, they said it was, around the position where they said it was. Uh, you saw these, like, rays uh, sort of extending outward from it that are sort of consistent with a relatively fresh crater. Like, in the grand scheme of the universe. In the grand scheme of the universe, relatively fresh. Uh, we did the whole thing of, like, there are mirrors placed on the moon, and we, like, fire lasers at the mirrors to measure the distance, and sort of, through this big process of doing this over and over and over and over and over again, uh, we found out that there was a slight little wobble in the moon, like, as if the moon centuries later was still recovering from this, uh, from this impact, uh, and it's just really cool that some monks see some crazy shit centuries ago, hundreds of years ago, and then in the height of the space race, astronomers go back and go like, hey, that crazy shit those monks saw, let's actually, like, fact check that, let's actually see if we can find evidence of this, and they do, and it's really, really awesome. Like, it's really, really amazing to see. And Carl Sagan, of course, tells that story very well. And then we get to Venus. And my favorite element of this episode, because, again, Carl Sagan cares every bit as much about how we got to knowing what we know as he does teaching what we know. He starts off by recounting this batshit crazy theory. About the origins of Venus from some random psychologist. Like, just some insane, obviously it's not true. This is absurd. What the, Like, there's so much evidence to say that it's not the case. Like, blah, 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 blah. He takes us through this batshit crazy theory. Where Venus was like an asteroid. A giant asteroid. That somehow... Got ejected from Jupiter? And somehow Jupiter, like, shot it out. It went hurtling into the inner solar system. And then got caught on the orbits of the inner planets. And just kept, like, basically getting tossed back and forth between Mars and Earth and Mercury. And, like, just going all over the place. At one point, this guy thinks Venus... Stopped Earth's orbit? And that this somehow lined up with biblical stories? And then, after hurtling through the solar system for a while, it eventually stopped. And just went, I plan it now. And now, now Venus is a thing. And I love this moment, after Carl Sagan, uh, is finished recounting this theory and acting it out on this giant model. After all of this, Carl Sagan just stands there and is like, this is almost certainly wrong. <laughs> like, there's a little pause in there 
where you can tell he's thinking, how do I put this delicately? <laughs> how do I put this in the nicest way possible? Uh, this theory is complete bullshit. <laughs> like, it is awful. It is a terrible, terrible theory. But he does have that like, nice little uh, point in there where it's just like, yeah, this theory is terrible and obviously wrong, but it's like, some scientists just flat out tried to suppress it, and that is not how science works. Like, that's not what science does. You never know when something we think to be true uh, ends up being hilariously wrong in hindsight. So we have to, like, entertain the theory, disprove it all you want, and that's what Carl Sagan does and goes on this massive massive deep dive into just how wrong this theory is and much like the astrology thing after a while i'm kind of going stop stop he's already dead (laughs) but it's like just because something's wrong doesn't mean it shouldn't be entertained uh science is saying stuff and then fact checking like that's what science is on its core level and yes that's oversimplification but that's kind of for the most part, what science is. You say stuff that you think is true, and then you see if it's actually true. If it's not, great. If it is, also great. (laughs) Uh, But then we get this entire section on Venus. And, again, not only does Carl Sagan uh, tell us what we know about it, tell us what we know about the planet's surface, what the planet's makeup is, how much of a giant smoldering hell it is but also how we got to knowing what we know uh the process that was like solidifying our knowledge of venus uh how we initially looked up to venus in telescopes and uh speculated as to what its surface looked like speculated as to why we couldn't see any like real features on venus and then uh we sort of dealt with all these uh, visible light spectrums and sort of use like spectral analysis to sort of see what elements were on Venus and all of that, uh, trying to piece together what it looked like. And then eventually we sent spacecraft there one after the other and got photographs of it and all that. Like he t- sort of takes us through the entire timeline of how Venus was researched before uh, going there in our spiky ball of death. Uh- <laughs> Man, imagine. Imagine you're on an alien world. You see the ship of imagination from Neil deGrasse Tyson's cosmos go by, and it's this, like, sleek, Star Wars, Star Trek-y ship, and you're just like, yeah, cool, nice spaceship, sweet, bro, that, that, that's real cool. And then you see Carl Sagan's ship of imagination go by, and you're just like, we're all gonna die! It's a spiky ball of death hurtling towards our atmosphere! This planet is made of, uh, dip these elements. And the civilization below is going, oh my god, what does it mean? <laughs> Why is there a spiky ball of death approaching us? <laughs> uh, but we have that entire segment of on Venus that's really, really well done. And speaking of imminent death, we close out by, uh... Talking about how much humanity is screwing ourselves. It it really does suck when you realize just how gravely Carl Sagan was speaking about this stuff 40 years ago. 
at a certain point, Carl Sagan was giving uh, a similar spiel to what I'd expect from any nature documentary or any science documentary in 2020 or 2021, rather. And at a certain point, I realized, wait a minute. This was in 1980. And literally nothing has changed. We might be screwed. <laughs> we might be screwed as a species. Oh, God. Uh, I, I tend to be an optimistic person, but when you look at 1980, Carl Sagan saying the same stuff that people nowadays say uh, in, in 2021 land, and nothing significant has changed uh, from one end to the other. Like, nothing hugely dramatic has changed from one to the other on that front. You're just like, oh, crap. <laughs> We're, uh... We're effed. <laughs> We're super, super effed. Uh, but we have this dire warning of just how horrible humanity is screwing ourselves over. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to go too far into it because it's depressing. Suffice it to say, Carl Sagan gives that warning and gives it very, very well. Uh, Forty years ago, and then we get an update from thirty years ago, and doesn't even look like things have changed in thirty years. Uh... We're screwed. <laughs> We're very screwed. Anyway, on that note, great episode, everybody. Let's go home and try to get some sleep tonight. <laughs> try not to think about the Earth's impending destruction by our own hand. Try not to dwell too much on the black void at which we're hurtling towards as a species, very rapidly. Oh, God. If you like this, <laughs> favor the podcast, anchor.fm, slash TV archives, so that you can be here every single Monday through Friday as we go through every single episode of this and other shows. And you can find it on pretty much whatever podcatcher app you prefer. Feel free to call in as well. It's simple as just push a button on the Anchor app. I'll play those on the show from time to time if you feel so inclined to send those in. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd, TomTom4468, and support the show. Patreon.com slash ThomasClark, pledges a dollar a month. I appreciate everything I get through there. If you become a patron, you can also get access to the Television Archive Supplemental, which I'll be putting up there once every month. Or, if that's not work for you, you can also support the show directly via Anchor. I appreciate that as well. Uh, tomorrow we will be discussing Cosmos Episode 5. Talk to you then.